0: Welcome everyone to the First Touch Podcast. I am Tyler Brooke here with Nate Kanan. It's exciting, man. First episode. Very exciting. I do want to clear the air. Since this is episode one, we need to make sure everyone knows that your last name is not
1: Kenan. It is Kanan. <laughs> yeah, that that's definitely something that's worth mentioning. My last name is spelled K-E-E-N-A-N, not Kenan, pronounced Kanan. To be fair, though, back even in high school, I didn't even correct my high school soccer coach what my last name actually was until, like, I think it was senior night. I remember the, the disappointment that was on his face because he was just like, why didn't you tell me this four years ago? It, it didn't really matter.
0: It's fine. It's fine. Well, it, instead of waiting, like, four years into the podcast, just get it right out of the way for, just, like, 30 seconds of the show. Fantastic. We got a lot to cover. Obviously, soccer is finally back. It's kind of weird watching Bundesliga as the only sport on right now, but we got a lot to talk about. We're gonna be talking about fan engagement and just the COVID era of soccer itself. I've uh, got a great guest lined up later, Will Carroll, aka the injury expert. But I wanted to talk about one thing that's been on our minds the past few weeks uh, as far as the most absurd thing in sports news lately, and that is the Korean Sex Dolls. You've heard about these, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a little bizarre. It was the Seoul team, right? FC Seoul. We're in the middle of a pandemic right now and obviously we shouldn't be going to things unnecessarily. I I guess they wanted to keep a fan sort of feel for the players or whoever was watching at home and have these parentheses mannequins in these stands. And they weren't mannequins?
0: I don't believe for a second that whoever ordered these was like, oh, oops, I ordered a bunch of sex dolls. Like, there's no way that was what actually...
1: I just want to be in on that meeting. Like, who, how was this determined? Because, you know, working in the corporate sector, just think about, like, your own kind of business meetings that you would have at work, right? I just have a hard time believing that, like, a place such as a major sports entity within one of the most major cities of that region didn't have some sort of person checking in on these kinds of things like this was definitely deliberate there had to be somebody that was like okay what we're gonna do whenever we open up the stadium again get a good positive environment for people looking at things what's a good idea having it look like that there's people back there then who was the dude or or woman we don't know But who was the person that was just like, oh, I know what we're going to do. I've been waiting.
0: (laughs) Just waiting for it. I think at the end of the day, though, like I can see what they're trying to do. How do you engage with fans when there are no damn fans out there? Like it's just it's an impossible thing to figure out. And this was just one way we're trying to see people try and do it. I get it. I think I want some kind of immersion. I remember watching one of the games early on and it's just weird with like no sound besides players just yelling at each other.
1: Yeah, but what what kind of immersion are we talking about here? I think it's worth discussing what do we do when it's not safe to have thousands of people jam-packed next to each other. On the topic of what happened with Soul, like what was going on with that?
0: the team claimed that it was a mistake and that it was intended to be mannequins and it seems like people thought they were mannequins as they were putting them up you can look this up online there are pictures of them in the stands like they did play a game with these sex dolls in the stands
1: how many games did they play
0: i believe it was just one as soon as this one came out the internet took it by storm Uh, they ended up getting fined eighty one thousand three hundred dollars Ooh. which for like not a big team seems like an insane amount of i
1: mean i couldn't take a eighty one thousand dollar <laughs> fine I'll i think honest.
0: we'd be we'd be screwed <laughs> either one of us would be totally screwed
1: like how does this make sense business wise regular mannequins got to be cheaper than sex dolls
0: <laughs> like they're they're a specialized product right so like those things can't come cheap i personally do not know the price of sex dolls so i would we're just assuming okay
1: i'm looking it up right now how much is it is it so these are full sex dolls right
0: they bought a lot of them too it wasn't like some cheap thing yeah just think about the financial ramifications of buying a bunch of those
1: this is what I'm most interested in. There's a lot to unpack here. Obviously, we can talk about, oh, my God, the images that I just found searching this. I, really I was not prepared. Hope,
0: I really hope you're not using your work computer because that would be bad.
1: Wow. Okay. So according to this, a life-size full-body sex doll starts around $800 with high-end ones costing upwards of 8 thousand dollars okay so let's think about a ballpark range here what is exhilarating to me is planning out like how this happened because this took effort this took somebody trying to go below like high key low key like we can get this through like i don't know what they wanted like is it a joke is it like once the season's over i can then collect these i don't know what's going on with this but I'm just wondering if it was, like, one person that just, like, tricked everyone or, like, it was a multi-level...
0: Conspiracy?
1: A a sex doll conspiracy. Sure, let's go there. I mean, like, there there had to be a party that didn't know that they were buying sex dolls and they had to pull a fast one on someone.
0: I want to chalk it up to, like, gross incompetence. I think it's one person that was like, this is going to be hilarious and he brought it to his manager with the expense report, and that guy doesn't know how much mannequins are, and he's just like, yep, that seems right, cool. Send but that's it.
1: why I wanted to look this up, because there's no way that mannequins are as expensive yeah, as sex dolls. Uh, like, if I'm walking down the mall, I'm at H&M, and there's those weird mannequins that have no faces, when the stores close, I think they're, like, selling those things off for, like, what, 50 bucks a pop, 100 bucks a pop? Let's just say that they're doing that at a discount because it's a liquidation sale, so that's cheaper. So like, you're buying them in mass. So I would just have to argue that that's probably around like less than $500 per mannequin, right? Minimum of $800 for these full body. Like I've seen the pictures of these things. They're not cheaply made.
0: I just feel bad for the players. I think more than anything. Imagine just like going out onto the pitch, being ready to play a game you're warming up and then all of a sudden you just look in the stands and there's just lifeless bodies in your shirts with weird signs and they're not moving there
1: I just don't know how that got the green light like someone just exactly like you said just had to be so stupid to not realize what was happening or it's the great sex doll conspiracy where Someone was like, okay, we're going to buy all of these, whatever their intentions were after the season. I don't know. I can only, I just assume a scenario. One, it's either a joke or two, someone wanted to keep these whenever we could have fans back into the stadium.
0: I will say to try and feed into the conspiracy, the only way I can see why there'd be a conspiracy is the publicity. We're literally talking about it in the United States. And I mean, it was a huge story for like a week. Like I was seeing it on ESPN regularly.
1: But they got fined. There's no way. Maybe they just didn't think that they would get fined.
0: Think about it as a net gain of the fine as far as the number of fans they gained.
1: Or at least just people following them.
0: All I know is that FC Seoul probably gained a lot of fans. General awareness.
1: I'll stand by general awareness. This is part of fan engagement in COVID. Is it important to have a sense of fans in these stadiums with all these closed down? Like, Who is that for?
0: I think it's for the people watching more than the players i don't think it bothers the players as much personally because again we've talked about it like some of the stuff we're watching there needs to be something besides the silence and the empty crowd to make it feel some kind of normal i think
1: why is that important
0: Because it gets more people to watch. I mean, you're thinking about casual soccer fans, too. You know, people that may not be enjoying it as much are less likely to tune in if all you hear is the ball being kicked and coaches yelling and what's most likely a foreign language if you're watching Bundesliga.
1: That's true. That could be very awkward. I didn't even think of it like that. As a person that's grown up playing soccer, I guess that could be especially even different for someone like you who's recently grown to love the sport within the last couple of years. You know, soccer is a globalized entity. Aside from the popularity in the United States, I think it's definitely risen within the last 20 years. Think of it like this. There's not that much to do in the middle of a pandemic. Yes, things are starting to open back up. There is some sense of normalcy in some levels in some parts of this country right now, but there's literally no sports to watch. I know that's an outlet for thousands and millions of people, excuse me. And it's more than just like the enjoyment of the game. There's fan engagement. There's people that gamble on these things. There's a lot of connections that sports has aside from just the spectacle itself. So if you're not someone that's privy to the football soccer world, and that's the only thing that's going on right now, I think like we turned on ESPN earlier and there was like a social distancing cornhole tournament
0: on TV. Sign me up for that bad boy.
1: Catch me spring 2021. I'll be on the, what was it, the Johnson's Sausage? Johnsonville
0: Sausage <laughs> Cornhole League tournament. And let the record show it's not the bags tournament. It is the cornhole tournament. I
1: consider myself to be an East Coaster. When I moved to the Midwest, everyone's like, bags, bags, bags. I'm like, it's cornhole. Let the jury be shown. It's, it's cornhole. This is now a cornhole podcast. So shifting gears to cornhole, so... <laughs> But yeah, I I think you're right with the way you hear bandwagon fans, right? I'll take a bandwagon soccer fan that hasn't watched soccer before. I consider that to be you. (laughs) No, no, you're a real fan. You're a real fan. You can fuck right (laughs) off. But if you like people like jump on the bandwagon around noise, like that's literally the, the reason why it's a cliche because there's a lot of noise, a lot of excitement going around and you jump around that energy. If these people, like you said, are just yelling in German at each other, playing a slow-paced game that you don't really understand and you just casually turn on a Bundesliga game because it's either Johnsonsville's Sausage Cornhole or Bundesliga, which is literally our only options to watch sports today, you might actually watch the Cornhole if it's just silent.
0: Yeah, all you hear is dull thuds and then some guy screaming German. And then, yeah, that's just that's not fun for anyone. Like... There needs to be some kind of noise, like the excitement of a goal. It can't just be the players going, Yeah and then that's it.
1: Yeah, I, I mean personally, before we kind of talked it, talked it out, I thought it was more so for the players on some level, because you always hear the idea that like the home pitch has the advantage. It's the same thing like watching baseballs, the same thing watching hockey. You want that home field advantage, right? You you like to think that's actually a real thing and it's not just being, you know, part of the fandom. I love following my favorite sports teams and being in the stands because I believe that my energy makes a difference. Like I'm the person that's up in the nosebleeds, screaming my head off because I want this team to score a goal. I want certain things to happen. And I believe that like I can contribute to that. And that might be a lot of BS for a lot of people. Like, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. But I like to believe that some of that energy translates to the people on the pitch. So that's why I thought like, all of these noises, all of these different attempts at fan engagement in an empty stadium. I was like, Oh, this is going to be more for the players because you know, when someone's going on, say they score two goals, what's going to be the thing that motivates them to get that hat trick.
0: I think you bring up a really good point there that, you know, it's the ultimate point of fan engagement is feeling like you're making a contribution to just being loud or anything like that. And, One team that's doing a good job of this right now in the air, I think is really interesting is a team in the Danish league. Um, What they're doing is they're actually, they've put in all these monitors around the pitch and you got to see this. It's honestly pretty crazy. And they're having all their fans like zoom in on these giant monitors, like just feeling like you're part of that experience. That's what draws people to their team.
1: Yeah. I loved seeing that. I haven't watched any of these games, but I've seen some of the articles after the fact with it. And personally, I love that for a lot of different reasons. It's like what you said is right, like what it is, it's like they're playing their their match and then on the big screen behind them is literally like so you have that nightmare zoom call that's basically your work on a screen, but it's all of these people that are, are like this home team support. I don't know what Danish team it is, but whatever team it is, I hope I'm not making this up because I think I remember whenever I was watching this, there was like just a, a cute old woman having a glass of wine and then like they pulled her image up onto the screen and she like cheers the screen as like this game is going on it's like you you know like when you go to like an NBA game or like any sports game that has like the jumbotron fan you have, cam yeah, yeah the fan cams you have the kiss cam you have like just like the kids dancing and that literally is so easy to do for anyone out there but like I I love that. I get off to the excitement of that. I know so many people do. It's like everyone just gets behind that, and is just so excited. To like have their fifteen seconds with their their favorite sports team or whoever they're with. So I can only imagine. You know, say you support this club for years, and now you're forced to be at home, and you want to. You can be a part of that environment, and I love that so much.
0: I do think there's a massive drawback to it. What if you're losing? How awkward is the zoom faces. <laughs> you just have big like you know, it's like a big stadium. Like you're not gonna see everyone like you'll see collectively people who are sad. Here you're gonna see individual like children just like devastated that you're getting crushed. Or
1: yes, yes. Or I don't know. I'm the kind of person that's like trying to be, you know, the the coach from the couch, you know? And screaming tactics oh, Yeah, yeah, like that, or like say somebody's out of place. <laughs> So say someone's out of place and like your your right back is like doing a piss poor job of covering his man. You get pulled up onto the screen and like you make like a sign that's like number five you're and you just like you flick doing? him off. You're dead to me now.
0: As much as the idea like this is again the problem, there's definitely gonna be some drawbacks to that. There definitely would be people that would take advantage of that by doing something horrible to get five minutes of fame. Just imagine like you're set up perfectly for a goal and then just out of the corner of your eye, you see some guy just like moon you on the Zoom.
1: I know If it's live, I can't imagine the pressure of just being that fan where you have to be like on constantly. I mean, even if I'm at like real sports games, I'm still not 100% engaged the entire time you know I'm talking to someone or like maybe just I'll on check my phone, phone while
0: you're on the big screen like they zoom in on you and you're just texting yeah
1: I mean we've been watching a lot more Bundesliga in this household for those of you that don't know we're roommates and this is something that we've been wanting to do for a long time is create like a podcast sort of outlet for a more Americanized audience because you know I just think that there's a need for it like there's a lot of analytical podcasts out there there's a lot of just like you got like the men in blazers like huge shout out to like that group of people that are giving like a more tactical approach to how we talk about soccer in the united states i think that what we want to do here with this podcast is give more of a voice to the casual american fan like that we can talk about it like it's baseball talk about it like it's football but actually be like european football
0: Yeah. Like it's a growing audience. I mean, people would be amazed at that I think the popularity of things like FIFA or just uh, Turner's deals with Champions League, uh, being able to access that much more easily with things like BR Live. Um, It's becoming more accessible to Americans and more and more people are willing to when as soon as they hear I can get up at 7 a.m. and have a beer and just go watch. Absolutely. I think that's when people start to buy in. And that's
1: (laughs) that's how I get some of my friends to watch soccer with me. I drag them out to my local pub at like six in the morning. he's like, Oh, I gotta make sure my fiance is okay with this. And then like, like just come, just come hang out. It's fine. Like just drink a beer at seven in the morning, sing some songs and it's fine. Um, but with that being said, we're watching more Bundesliga now because that's all that there is. And like, I'm super stoked that the rest of the leagues have started to, start to ramp back up and come together with a schedule aside from like the, the French leagues, which are all shut down until I think sports can't resume there until September. Talking about the Bundesliga, what they're doing for fan engagement is that they have, and I believe there was only one game that I watched where this didn't happen. They have the sounds of the crowds playing while you're watching the game, even though the stadiums are empty.
0: It's so simple, but for me, it's so effective essentially what they've been doing especially for the american audiences i believe internationally they have the option to listen with or without this fan noise but essentially someone is in like the production van with a soundboard watching the game and then essentially like pumping in noise that supposedly fits the current situation like they have a soundboard of like you know after they score a goal or like you know they're uh, getting closer into the penalty area which seems really interesting i feel like there's a lot of margin for error there But for the most part, it's been working pretty well. Um, It it doesn't feel the same, but it's something.
1: Yeah, margin for error for sure. And I I don't know, there's something about me too that's also like biases. But I think that you have to collectively realize that if you're in one of those positions where you are working for like a sports broadcast, you got to like, there's no room to like have those biases there. So because I can just imagine like saying you're watching like an intense game or like you really hate, you know, Bayern Leverkusen and you just like want to just, you know, troll them. The that's the one time. thing I've
0: noticed that like whenever we're listening, there's not nearly enough negative noise. Th- that's I, true. No, I think they're trying to keep it positive, which I, I guess I can kind of get from, from a PR perspective, but man, I just want some like not enough chance either Dortmund Bayern. I think there were some,
1: I believe so as well. But again, like I've not, I don't really follow that league as heavily as I follow other leagues and I don't know something that I take pride in is like understanding whose chants are whom's, and I was like it, they they played in Dortmund, so my question watching that was were those all Dortmund chants or was I I don't know because like something that I think is exciting as well is whenever you are watching a match and you can hear the opposing teams' chants happen. yeah. That's something that gets, even if it's not a team that I follow heavily.
0: You can feel the momentum because of that. Exactly. I'm just imagining now you wanting a Zoom call of all you Tottenham fans going,
1: come on, you Spurs. I mean, nothing brings me more joy than being at an away place, especially because Tottenham has barely won away games this entire season. I think they've won like two or three away games this whole year is just hearing a come on you Spurs that like that. That's I, I remember watching the Manchester city game where Lucas Mora came in. Oh my in. gosh. Yeah. <laughs> right at the beginning of the
0: season. Right. Right. At the be- yeah. It was
1: like match match week three, I think two or three and Lucas Mora just comes in and he scores that off. He scores off a corner kick just after being substituted in I've never seen anything like it in the energy at Manchester city stadium, just being completely changed. I guess my question is, are, are the are the players hearing these? You said that they're able to, like, as a viewer, I can choose if I want to hear the fake crowd or not.
0: From what I've read, uh, ESPN did an interview with someone with Sky Sports Deutschland um, that's been doing this, essentially for the American audience as well. It just sounds like it's just in the production van. I do not believe it's going on for the players.
1: That's so interesting to me.
0: I'm sure the players are used to it. It's basically just like practice, like a scrimmage with no one watching. Um, I'm sure it has an effect on some guys that really, because even if we can't quantify it, you know that there's some players that truly do feed off the crowd, and it's it's having an impact. Yeah,
1: uh, there's uh, at least I choose to believe that there's players that feed off that energy. Otherwise, what am I wasting my voice for? Yeah. Well,
0: obviously, it's a it's just a new era in soccer. Um, who knows when we'll get back to normal? But hey, at least there is soccer. Well, again, talking about that new era, uh, one of the big reasons we've brought in Will Carroll, uh, injury expert, um, talking a little bit about fan engagement and player safety. Um, here's our interview with Will.
2: All righty, and we have Will Carroll here with us on the First Touch podcast. How's everything going, Will? How's that? Uh, how cool is treating you?
3: You know, quarantine life for me is not that different from normal life. You know, I work from home. I'm lucky <laughs> enough to have been able to do that for quite a period of time. Uh, so, you know, it, it's just a matter of not having quite as many options outside of that. Do I go to dinner? Uh, do I go out and watch a game on, on Saturday morning? Uh, where? What do you do uh, in terms of you know shopping <laughs> instead of just Amazon, uh, you know, you're thinking, hey, I'll just drive up to the north side and and get something uh, rather than I'll wait two days for Amazon to you know break it on my doorstep. Uh, so you know, for me, it hasn't been a big change. I think it's more about uh, making sure that the other people, and I think that's what we kind of lost in all of this, is that other people aren't getting it. Uh, I'm supposedly at elevated risk. But. Uh, There's a lot of people at a lot more risk for this than me, and I would not like to go back into quarantine personally. So I'm hoping people will, uh, aside from these protests, which are necessary, uh, I I think I'd I'd like people to stay inside. I'd like people to wear masks. I wouldn't hate it if these masks got permanent, because mine's kind of cool.
2: I definitely want to make sure that everybody's still staying safe out there. How's everything, though, like around you? This is starting to open back up. Are you like... It sounds like you're bunkering inside, so you're
3: not rushing out the door to get a haircut yet, are you? No, I, you know, haircuts I usually do myself. Uh, <laughs> so it, here in Indianapolis, it's kind of opened back up. Uh, restaurants were getting ready to open.
4: Speaking of things opening up, kind of nice having the escape with soccer coming back. For those who don't know, Will and I previously worked together at Bleacher Report and FanDuel. His works previously been featured as well at Sports Illustrated, ESPN. Will could go on a long list of that. One other thing he works as is a you know consultant for professional teams, you know, soccer or otherwise. Will, you're known as the injury expert on Twitter. Can you explain to us a little bit about what you do as an injury consultant for these games?
3: Yeah, you know, it's always funny. People introduced me by my Twitter name, which was just because Will Carroll was already taken. Uh, so it was like, well, crap. Now I got to think of something else. Expert is kind of a word that we've devalued these days. Working with teams, whether it's with baseball teams, whether it's with EPL teams, there are two things that I do. First is I take a look at the organization as a whole. For that, there's kind of two ways to bring in teams that are having too many injuries and teams that want to kind of get up to the best practices. So what I'll do is I'll take a look at their organization as a whole, see, are they doing all the right things? Do they have the right tools? Uh, Do they have the right systems in place? Are people listening to those people? Sometimes it's just about giving the people you already have a voice. Sometimes you don't have the right people in place. And, and uh, you know, if you've got to replace a physio, if you've got to replace a doctor, uh, you want to make sure you're getting the top people. In some situations, you have to go outside your organization. A couple of years ago, we saw uh, Zlatan Ibrahimović completely leave the system, come to the United States for a special kind of knee surgery. And if, if, if there's Zlatan, uh, obviously you need the most special knee surgery there is. And it worked. And it works really, really well. Uh, And we've seen more people, including Joseph Martinez of Atlanta, go up there and get that surgery, uh, oddly enough, in Pittsburgh. But for me, the the other thing is, when teams are about to go out and acquire a player, they want to make sure they're getting a player that can stay healthy, because as good as you are, you can be the greatest player in the world, like Zlatan. And if you're not playing, Doesn't mean a thing. You take a team like Russia Dortmund right now. They might have the best player in the world in in Erling Holland, And uh, down with an MCL doesn't help. So when they're about to go out and acquire players, sometimes they'll bring me in, take a look, go through their medicals, make sure this is the kind of player they need. This really comes into play when you're talking about a player who's had injury concerns, a guy who gets worn down. Has he been overworked? Is this something that's going to recur? Or in the case of, say, an ACL, that's been taken care of. That shouldn't happen again. So that's a guy who's sometimes undervalued, and uh, you can use it kind of like negotiating for a used car. Yeah, you mentioned a couple of some of the greatest players
2: in the game, some of the greatest players that are up and coming right now. I can imagine if you, you've obviously got to take a more of an analytical business sense to these kinds of consultative conversations with these organizations. What's it like being a fan at the same time? Is that kind of
3: difficult for you, considering like everything that goes into your career? No, it really isn't. Uh, what it does is it makes me step back and appreciate the other teams more. Uh, there's no team I really hate. Uh, and what I look for is great games. I can honestly be a different kind of fan. Maybe I'm not wearing one team's colors. Though there's usually a team I'm rooting for because I want to (laughs) win. There's certainly situations where, you know, here's a team I worked with in the past. So I want them, I still want them to succeed, even though they're not paying me at this point. Here's a player I dealt with in the past. I want him to succeed. So I go out there and, even from a scouting standpoint, I'm watching players and saying, that's a guy I'd really like my team to get. So I, I think it makes me a different kind of fan. Honestly, it's a little healthier. I, I think people that put too much of their identity in a team they they only have a tenuous connection to really need to take a step back. Uh, I don't think it's the healthiest thing in the world.
4: I think that's why I like soccer as an American fan. I think being American, it feels fundamentally different to be a soccer mm-hmm. fan because it's kind of hard when you're rooting for like a Premier League team. Like that's not your hometown team. You don't have a lot of ties being that fan. It's just a different type of fandom uh, and just more of an appreciation, I think, uh, across the
3: pond. I agree. And I think the other thing is, and this is twofold. First, you, you kind of get to choose your team as an American. Now, in England, you talk to anybody. You grew up in London. You grew up uh, in whatever section of London. That picked your team for you. You grew up in Liverpool uh yeah even if your your town doesn't have a major team uh you know they they have a minor team third fourth fifth tier and, and that's your team you're kind of stuck with it like it or not uh if you grow up in liverpool you you pretty much got two choices and even then that's usually made for you uh, on the other hand i think this is one of the most interesting things i can remember when mls started up back in in the 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 shadow of the 94 World Cup, which was in the U.S., everybody's saying, you know, people are going to start watching soccer. Kids are playing soccer in big numbers. Uh, This is going to be the big thing. The thing they didn't anticipate was MLS is a worse product than the English Premier League. That's just There's some great players. There's some great soccer. But it's just, you know, I'm not even sure most of those teams could compete on, on, you know, a, a, a League One level. Uh, So you you just simply can't get the quality uh, that you get watching a a team around the world. So I think that's been MLS's big competition. They thought they'd have to take on the NHL or Major League Baseball, and instead they've had to take on the best in the world, and they just can't do that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think you're right on with a lot of that there. I think it's a combination of a lot of different things, including just like the cable uh, ships as well. And what what you were saying is also true like we've taken such an americanized approach with the mls like we treat it just like how we have american football or american baseball and there's no relegation system mm-hmm. it's not the same kind of like passion that these european teams have because like when your team goes out to play on the pitch every single week that game matters and yeah. you know playoffs it's just winner take all and if you're at the bottom of the table you might not be able to stand with the rest of them coming the next season, unlike what we're
3: doing here with the MLS. Yeah, I think relegation is one of the more interesting things because, but now that they've built it out and now that there's a second tier, even a third tier, if you wanted it in American soccer, does relegation work as a system? Yes, absolutely. Does it work as an Americanized system? Can you kind of push a city like Cincinnati or Nashville or St. Louis to build you a big stadium on the chance that you're going to be in the third tier of soccer in a couple of years. No, that's just not something that we get over here. The thing I think is going to happen is that the MLS is going to have to merge North American soccer together. I think we're going to have to become kind of an MLS-Mexican League combo. I think if you merge those two and kind of put things back together, Right. Uh, That could be the combination that puts it over the top. You you bring up such an interesting point with that combining the
2: leagues here in North America. Do you feel like that's something to do with why we did a multi-nation bid for the World
3: Cup? Uh, Yeah, I've always thought that. Uh, I don't know that for a fact. Uh, I think for the World Cup, the tough part is that so many of the best stadiums that we have do not translate well to soccer they're just not built for it you know if you've ever gone to a game at soldier field that is a great place to watch football game horrible place to watch soccer game it's just not set up for it same thing here in indianapolis lucas oil is not a good soccer venue the problem is the good soccer venues are all small there's no question that if you go to tijuana or monterey certainly mexico city those are great soccer towns great soccer stadiums, uh, world-class stadiums. You have to kind of step down a notch for the MLS stadiums, unless you're willing to accept that uh, you're not going to have 50,000 people a game, and uh, you can't do that with the World Cup.
4: It's funny talking about all these stadiums right now in the COVID era where we're about to have games with no fans. I mean, you're seeing it in the Bundesliga right now. Obviously, Will, you're probably one of the more qualified people to talk about this. A lot of what we've been talking about today is, you know, fan engagement without fans or player safety. You know, obviously, the Bundesliga is already starting up, Premier League starting up. You know, what, in your opinion, are the safest ways for soccer to be returning?
3: I think you have to, at this stage be going with extremely limited fan engagement, at least fans in the stadium, that is. What we have is an opportunity to rethink this. Do we need 50,000, 60,000, 80,000 people in the stadium? For a lot of places, yes. You fill that stadium week in, week out. You wanna maximize your revenue. That's where you're gonna go. On the other hand, can you build something better? And I think there's a question of, can you provide a good experience at a lower number, and then take the rest of the people and expand that even more. And you know, we're not there yet, but I think both from a television standpoint and from a virtual reality standpoint, we have an opportunity now that we never thought we were gonna have. I think what we have to look at is can we provide a better experience? Uh, football, uh, the NFL is having to do this right now because they've got these massive stadiums, but they've got a problem. I don't know of anybody who goes to NFL games and says it's a better experience than sitting at home. Uh, we got a big screen, 4K TV with surround sound. I can hit pause. I could watch Red Zone. I can do all these things. Uh, so it is a worse experience for me to go to the games. So how, how do we translate that out? Uh, I think a lot of teams are looking at ways of using uh, either the, the at-home experience, uh, the normal TV, but even more the the virtual reality. And, and we're probably a couple of years and Apple releasing it finally from this technology being mature enough. But if you can feel like you're there, but not have to deal with $100 parking and a $20 beer, it, it, it gets better quickly. The NBA has done a lot of experimentation with this If you've ever had a chance to use one of the Oculus products, they had a thing where you could basically have courtside seats and watch a game. This sounds like the dumbest thing until you actually do it. It's one of those things that no matter how much I explain it, you have to experience it. We could go quickly into that. One of the things a team I work with was talking about, and they did this in Korea with their their baseball league, is could you basically put a camera in your seat for the season ticket holders? and you know just set it there and and how much would that cost you know cameras these days are next to nothing they were going to use old phones uh that were they were going to buy in bulk then you get like twenty thousand old phones and put it in your seat so you could essentially watch a game from your seat i was like well that's interesting but why why do i want to do it from my seat is that the best seat am i attached to that seat i get it but wouldn't you rather you know, pay a little more and have, you know, one of those suite seats or, uh, you know, sideline seats. Those are gonna be the experiences that we get leading up to having fans. And I think at that point, it starts getting really interesting because then you're essentially expanding your stadium, going from a 40,000, 50,000 seat stadium to essentially an unlimited stadium if you've got a bunch of people that can watch via other technologies. And still kind of experience that being in the stadium, what do you feel
2: like training was like for the players in the quarantine world? What do you think it's becoming now after that?
3: Um, I don't think it was significantly different. Uh, I, I don't think these players are used to having downtime, you know talking to some of the top level soccer players that were having to train on their own. They're just not used to it. You know There's not really an off season for the top level guys uh, if they're not playing. Uh, they're practicing, and they're they're with their club. And if they're not with their club, they're with their their country. Uh, so they're just not used to being self-motivated in most of the situations. You get to the top top level guys, and they are the the training itself wasn't that different. Once they get the facilities open back up, you could do individual training, you could do small group training. That wasn't that different. That's like basically going through a light days practice. There wasn't you know seven on seven, eleven on eleven drills. I think the toughest. Uh, part for this was the goalies. Uh, the goalies basically just had to have their kids fire stuff at them. Uh, what we've seen in the league is the goalies are awful.
2: I'm curious on your take on these leagues starting back up. There's new rules... And now you have like the Bundesliga, you have the Premier League. I mean, all of these leagues, if I'm not mistaken, are like, there's more subs now. There's more ability for these players to rest and make sure that their health is fair. Do you think this is something like a byproduct of just the environment that they're in right now? Or could you foresee like as, see, like as next season starts up that like they're allowing to have more substitutions? There are more precautions for player safety. Do you see this changing the environment or will everything go back to status quo once this pandemic is deemed safe? I
3: think it'll go back you know substitutions are focused for a reason I, I don't think there's any reason that we need more substitutions uh certainly there are teams that are deeper i mean if you're watch uh, dortmund uh, my god they're they're leaving reyna or santo on the bench if you've got that kind of depth more substitutes would be better if you're uh manchester united right now probably has the deepest bench they're not the best team but they've got the deepest bench you know, Liverpool has a pretty deep bench. Tottenham, you know, once they well, came back, so richer teams have a better bench. At the lower levels, there are teams that you know, train their own players, have developed them over years, you know, growing them to sell them. I feel like
4: you know, we might not be as worried about injuries in-game because there's so many substitutions like everything we're just talking about, but I feel like as far as these games now being in such quick succession, at least with what Premier League's proposing, you know, there's a likely higher injury risk for these games being, you know, so close together. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, and how do you think teams are going to go about trying to manage that risk?
3: Yeah, that's the thing is you're going to have to have a rotation. Uh, if you're playing a, a Saturday or Sunday game and you're coming back on Wednesday, which is not unusual, you've got to deal with that. You've got to manage the workload. You've got to figure out what they do. And every single team is using, you know, GPS or GLONASS data. Uh, which is basically positioning. position you have. How much is a guy running? I can remember back in, I want to say it was 2006, a team I was with had developed a technology using cameras. How much did the camera move? Pretty much all the players ran about a 10K every game. Uh, with all the technologies that the top teams have, even um, they're not going to have a problem figuring out who is overworked. They probably know it going into the game. It's mostly going to be about soft tissue injuries. We're seeing more hamstring strains. We're seeing more calf strains. We've seen a couple of Achilles injuries. We are seeing something of a workload issue where we're going back to full workload. These guys probably should be playing 50 minutes, 60 minutes rather than 90. Uh, And even the five substitutions, you can't really do that. So I think the the extra substitutions are going to essentially be injury insurance more than a way to really rest and rotate the players, that's going to have to be about those quick turnarounds. You're going to see very, very different lineups from game to game, even goalie to goalie. Uh, There's questions about, you know, how many games can a goalie go? You don't think about the the fatigue and the the movement. We're going to figure out who has a good backup goalie pretty quickly, especially in the EPL where backup goalies are. I think every team would love to have a great second goalie, uh, and it's one of those things where they skimp. And they're going to realize, well, well, we can't skip quite as much here. Maybe we'll just have, you know, a little less somewhere else. You know, instead of having three great forwards like Liverpool does, we'll only have two, and we'll get, you know, we'll have to save a little money there.
2: Yeah, I'm curious. You mentioned, like for example, like a team like Tottenham. Um, they Harry Kane's coming back from injury. Mm-hmm. Son's coming back from injury as well. There's a lot of other players out there. Do you think any teams are benefiting from this delay? and potentially, like, make a difference within their league or within their table
3: over this, like, COVID break? Yeah, obviously players that are coming back. So you're taking a look, Tottenham, huge, uh, getting their top two players back. If Kane is even remotely close to 100%, which word is he is, that's huge. I mean, playing without him, they've been good. Uh, Watching Jose work his magic over there. Uh, this is this is a team that should be significantly better than they were. <laughs> it was just so bad uh, for the first half. They're out of position. Uh, we'll have to see where that goes. Um, I think a team like Newcastle with so much issue up there. Are they getting sold? Are they not? Who will they get to coach them? I think it hurts them because we've been dealing with two months of basically a soap opera. Uh, so that team is just a wreck. Right? If Steve Bruce can focus that team. And get them going. He should keep that. I'm not sure if he shouldn't keep that job to begin with. Um, <laughs> but then you you take a look at, at teams kind of in the middle of the table. If you're taking a look at a like an Everton, what do they really have to fight for? They're they're going to be middle of the table. I think we're going to see some let off from the teams that just have nothing to play for.
2: Are you saying that because those teams that are in the middle that really don't have anything to prove are not going to bring the intensity into these games, just kind of
3: table the rest of the season? Yeah, I think they're going to protect their their key players. I think we're going to see a lot a lot of rotation across the league, uh, but I think with some, you're going to see even more of that. Uh, you're going to be able to see teams. I don't want to say tanking, for because that's not it. You can't tank. You got sponsorships to play for. <laughs> well, even those are mostly locked in. But if if you're say uh Everton's the one that comes to mind. Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace is a great example here. Yeah. So if you're Crystal Palace, you're having a good season. You're mid-table. You're locking everything in. Um, but, you know, you're also probably about to sell half the team. Uh, you know, Zaha is not sticking around. So what do you, what do, you do? Do you play him? Obviously, you, you've got to. He's your best player. But you're going to have a good excuse to rotate him out. If, if you're a team like Sheffield, um, you know, that's an interesting one just because they're actually in reach of the Champions League position, or at least a Europa League position. Uh, they might be one that fights. Um, if you're an Arsenal, not so much. You know, you're, you're, what are they, five, six points out, but, man, that's not a good team. They, they don't have a lot of direction. You're going to have to end up looking at the schedule saying, yeah, we're essentially going to uh, not put our most competitive team out there for this one maybe against you know, Brighton, uh, and we're going to load up for Leicester coming in.
4: At any rate, just having Premier League back, could not be more excited. I know sports fans anywhere just look for anything to watch right now. Uh, Will Carroll, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, listeners, make sure you're subscribing to his Substack under the knife. Uh, cannot recommend it enough. Some really great content on there. Um, Will, we're going to start asking every guest uh, moving forward, uh, you know, their favorite pub to watch games at. Uh, you got somewhere good in Indianapolis?
3: Yeah. Uh, we, we have one that's great here, and it's Chatham Tap. There's two locations, one up on the north side. The one downtown on Mass Ave is just one of the best places to watch any sort of game. Uh, you know, obviously, it's weird to go to a pub at 9 in the morning. <laughs> why not. Hey, uh, what do you do when you watch, uh, you know, English football? Exactly. So, uh, especially for World Cup games, uh, especially for Champions League games, uh, love going there uh just a great atmosphere good people and uh hey the beer is very very cold
2: and anything make it stand out or anybody at the pub that you want to shout out
3: uh, no it's just a great atmosphere i think uh, they understand it and they've kind of cultivated that audience uh, a lot of places just become that bar for no apparent reason especially in a town like chicago there's a, a liverpool bar and an arsenal bar and this bar we're not that big here in Indianapolis. It's, it's a soccer bar. And, uh, I think that's, uh, they cultivated that cultivated an atmosphere that's that's competitive, but fun. Uh, so I think they've done uh, a very good job of that. Can, can you say the name of the pub one more time, please? It's the, it's the Chatham tap on Massachusetts Avenue.
4: Will, uh, thanks again. Do you have anything else outside of uh, under the knife you want to promote?
3: No, no, I'm just excited to have sports back, uh, getting some soccer back because, uh, for me, this has been a really interesting season. The teams I work with have been competitive uh, and seeing it just dead stop uh, makes you realize just how important it is in your life.
4: Well, here's to Will Carroll getting a ring one day. Uh, Will, thanks again.
2: Yeah,
3: thanks Will. Thanks a lot, guys.
1: Big thanks to Will Carroll for coming in and being a, our first guest here on the First Touch podcast starting strong with the FTFC. Um, so with that being said, we're going to jump into our next little segment. Again, this is a newer podcast where we're going to try out a couple of different things. Um, we got a couple of different topics that we'd like to go through. We might switch it up week after week just to kind of see what is working for you guys. If there's any topics that you want us to discuss, anything that you want us to break down, we're thinking things from around like the internet that we're picking up on. We're ta- We're even thinking about talking about different gambling lines
0: oh you know i'll be talking about gambling <laughs> we have different ideologies on betting and i respect nate's but be, coming from my background uh, just always being around sports and that being you know the career for a while just we were watching eintracht frankfurt the other day and we both because i was explaining the over was two and a half that third goal happened and we both jumped out of our seat in a three-o game with Eintracht Frankfurt. Yeah. A team we don't follow. Just a great way to get engaged.
1: No, I, I think you're you're on the something there. There's a reason why it has such a, there's there's millions of dollars that go into it. But yeah, we're thinking about talking about uh, sports betting we we're talking we're thinking about talking about, you know, fantasy soccer, something as well. Um, also thinking about esports. Huge, huge, especially during this time where there's not real sports going on and you even have these European leagues having members from each different club playing each other on like FIFA online. So yeah, um, a couple of different ideas out there. So stay tuned uh, for the different changing segments. But I think this week we got a couple of fun topics that we found out from around the net.
0: Just rounding up, you know, topics circulating on the web lately, starting with one. I'm a big fan of uh, kit leaks are always great. I
1: I love kit leaks. There's just something about, it used to bother me at first whenever i was starting to become a big soccer fan of how kits change every single year because
0: you feel like you have to buy one every year yeah. I mean, that's the point that's probably why the they point.
1: do it and the thing is too it's like if you have like a kit that you love and you feel really lucky about like it's just the momentum's yeah. going to change and that's happened for me with being a being a hockey fan
0: you have a disturb you have a lot of penguins jerseys i do
1: i do and th- like, you know, when they they just won a, a couple of cups back to back in 16 and 17 and going into that 16 season, they were wearing their alternate third jersey. And then that 17 season, it became their main jersey. And that's all from luck and momentum.
0: I think all fans love kits regardless of sport, honestly. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So let's talk about these dormant kits. Talk to me about it. what does it look like?
0: It, imagine if Pikachu was playing soccer. That's the only way I can describe it. But I won't lie. I really do like these.
1: One. I think it's really, really hard for Dortmund to have a bad kit.
0: The color scheme is just too clean. Absolutely.
1: Black and yellow. I mean, again, like I'm showing my Pittsburgh biases here, but even even with that with with that being said, I just think that's a clean look. Yeah, yeah.
0: Could, not, could not agree more. It's a clean color combination. I,
1: I recommend we'll throw a link up on our Instagram, which is
0: First Touch Pod. We were very prepared for that.
1: Which we'll we'll throw a, we'll throw a link up on our on our Instagram and Twitter at First Touch Pod on Instagram and what's the Twitter FTFC Pod FTFC First Touch Football Club FTFC Pod Yeah uh, take a look at it it literally looks like think of like if you guys watch Pokemon back in the day everybody knows what Pikachu is it's they have a, they have a float in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade we don't
0: need to explain Pikachu we're talking to an American audience <laughs> it. it feels somewhat asymmetrical um they're just clean. I'm a big fan. Even the, I don't think the socks are lightning. They're a different pattern. Uh, the whole thing about it looks really good though. I think they went kind of, they went pretty aggressive with the lightning bolts everywhere. Um, but it looks cool.
1: I mean, that's what a lot of clubs are doing right now is just like having all these aggressive kind of takes to their jerseys. I mean, like look at Chelsea's current kit right now, that stuff looks like a a bus seat. I'm sorry. It looks like a a crazy blue bus seat that has like all these weird things that like someone designed back in like 1996. So like everyone's trying to have like this weird throwback to things like that. Even like it's kind of like what's in style right now, but I think what Dortmund's got going on with this kit, is pretty clean. Yeah. Something to note about these kits is that it's a Puma sponsorship and Again, like I don't follow much Bundesliga, but I am starting to do more so now. I I think it looks clean. It's mostly, think about what Manchester United's jersey was. I think it was this season with their Adidas kits where it starts out the top red heavy and then like there's that pattern around like the abdomen section, around like, you know, like where the belly button is, because there is a bit of a just a yellow gap between the upper chest and then the abdomen where it's just pure, pure yellow color, like what a canary yellow. And then you have these kind of look like black Pikachu lightning bolts.
0: I think it's, it's cool. Better than with that color combination. You can mess it up. I mean, the Pittsburgh Steelers bumblebee uniforms can Can it can go wrong? I get like calling the bees, but this is, this is a better alternative to that.
1: Now, what I, what I think is interesting though, too, is if you continue to look at some of the other art links, there's obviously like, you know, Puma's their sponsor. Um, And you can get like just regular t-shirts. I don't think it looks that great on just like a normal t-shirt. But I think it's a sick, sick kit looking. The socks I don't think match. Because it's just plain yellow sock. You got the Puma logo dead center. And then it kind of looks like you ever put like war paint under your eyes whenever you're playing football. Like think of that kind of war paint look when you smear it underneath your eye with your thumb and then multiply that like times 10 down like the outer sides of your leg. What else did we find around that?
0: I mean, I think the biggest news in, you know, transfer rumors uh, is obviously Timo Werner. Uh he was a big target for Liverpool, it sounds like he is going to be heading to Chelsea. Um the RB Leipzig striker is one of the hotter names yeah. in the transfer market right now, so this is obviously huge news.
1: Most teams would be lucky to have him.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, the man in 2018-19 had 16 goals, 7 assists. The year before that, 13 goals, 7 assists. The year before that, 21 goals, 5 assists. What's his position? He's a striker. Um it just Chelsea's a scary team for next year.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think especially having Frank Lampard being the manager.
0: Lampard, yeah, absolutely. Um just you got a a young manager who's a legend at Chelsea and then he's surrounded by all this young talent. I mean, we're talking about Obviously, we got to mention Kristen Pulisic, but you got you know Tammy Abraham up front. You got Mason Mount. um, You got all these young guys. Uh, The question is, you know, there's still a lot of talent around the league. Can they work together become a more cohesive unit to challenge some of the tougher teams? You know,
1: here's the here's the asterisk to this podcast too. We'll be definitely talking about different kinds of trade rumors, things that seem plausible, but like. If we jump at every single shred of like a transfer rumor that's happening, we'll be going back and fact-checking ourselves week after week after week after week because how many years in a row do people think Messi's going to leave Barcelona? Every single year. There's always going to be crazy transfer rumors out there, but this one seems pretty solid. We'll try
0: and cover the most solid and the most noteworthy for sure.
1: I'm excited to see what Chelsea has to bring next season. That's a that's a team that I think is gonna be top of the Premier League come next year if you know some of these off season moves that they make come through.
0: Yeah, well the good news is we know who's winning this year.
1: Eh, eh we'll see.
0: Sadly it will have an asterisk.
1: Um something that I want to talk about that I think is hilarious that we need to mention is Deli Alley's mustache. Have you seen this?
0: It's it's not great.
1: What is he doing?
0: It's quarantine hair, man. Everyone has bad quarantine. hair. Actually, I will say some people have rocked the quarantine hair. Others, like Saggio Mane, look like they're now old men.
1: Yeah, it's it's bizarre. It's like it's it's a few things where it's either people are just letting it just go and flow and be all out there. I'm I'm full support of that. I haven't had a haircut in over two months, and normally I go every like two three weeks. So I think it's funny. There are some people like I think Delhi. Well again, we'll post this on our social media as well. But you gotta take a look at this guy. Like it's like this weird goatee. And like Delhi is somebody that I think again, like a reason why I love European football is just because I like style. I like trendy things. Swagger. You know, he's got a big street style. I love streetwear, love uh, you know, collecting cool tennis shoes and things like that. And of course, the best celebration hand signal in the Behind entire Behind
0: one eyed Bobby.
1: Eh like Dell even has like clothing lines and he comes out rocking this goatee (laughs) and he's proud about it. Like he has, he has not shaved this goatee and his teammates, not even just his teammates, like people around the league, I would say, I guess you could say his teammates, there's people from like the English team that he plays for as well as like the English national team that are even just like mocking him. Like the called him a Mexicano, which is a little questionable, but, Literally, that's what he posted directly on his on his um, Instagram post. Uh, other people were just like, oh, my stash.
0: I, I will not roast Ali Ali because, as Nate knows, I tried growing a mustache the first like two months of quarantine and it it did not go
1: great. It works for some and it works for others. But I think this is one of those things where he should have had the same moment of realization where you said this or, didn't I did, work yeah. for me. Just
0: shave it. Just get rid sometimes it. you just got to pull that trigger, man.
1: I, I'm just, like, looking at this, and, like, the guy, he went through some traumatic stuff during this quarantine. He, ha, like, he was, a home invasion happened, with, which is terrible. Like, he, it was, like, him and his, his, like, half-brother, stepbrother, and, like, his girlfriend were all there. He got, like, punched, I think, and it's terrible. He lives in a weird part of, I think he lives, like, in a northern London suburb, and just looking this up, and if you, if you literally Google... Like Delhi Ali's house, you can find reports of like where his house. Is. It's a beautiful. It's a two million dollar mansion. It's the but it's a, apparently in the middle of like well known prostitution zone.
0: That's a big wolf. I I don't know. Maybe he just really liked the house. It's probably hopefully it's close to the you know the training facilities. I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt and be like he probably didn't know. Probably just saw a nice house. Like I want that. Couple, couple L's during quarantine.
1: Couple, couple of L's, and you know, I, I hope the best for him and his family, like, uh, and his loved ones about going through that traumatic experience and being. I, I can't imagine what a home invasion is like, but.
0: One thing I definitely want to encourage our listeners to start sending over, um, as you heard from Will, we're going to start asking our guests about their favorite uh, pubs, sports bars, soccer bars, wherever you live. Um, You know, just want people to know places, you know, once lockdown's over, they can go um, watch games at. I know, to be completely honest, up here in Chicago, that is one of the main reasons I became a a soccer fan was getting caught up in the moment watching somewhere. Um, Just want to give a shout out to A.J. Hudson's uh, the Liverpool Bar in Chicago, just an amazing place. I've camped out there for the last two Champions League finals at 6 a.m. Couldn't speak highly enough about it again. For some people, if you're a casual fan, um, you find a bar or pub near you, you'll be a fan for life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, members of the FTFC out there, write into our Instagram or Twitter. Tell us about your favorite local pub. Tell us about what makes it great, and if there's anybody that you want to shout out from there. And with that, we'll leave you with this. There's no room for racism.